ago we started on a theme of uh, Joshua chapter 1 where we, we considered the people of uh, Israel leaving uh, Egypt and coming into the promised land. And this is 40 years after um, um, 40 years after they were meant to be in the promised land and because the first time they tried it hadn't gone according to what they had anticipated from God. I like bringing these things out again because it's encouraging to me to know that right from the beginning of time people have always struggled with God. They've always struggled with um, you say you're so great but my life is so tough. And you say you're so helpful, but where are you? Because you set us free from Egypt and then you're leading us through this process that is really a pain. We're hungry. We don't have any food. We don't have any drink. And Moses is a little irritating at times. He's an old man with an attitude. He stutters and he's got, you know, who does he think he is? I don't know about you, but so many times you say yes to God and then it all turns sideways and you go, so this is God? That's why we have the scriptures, because right through history it's been the only people who don't really follow God are the ones who think it's all worked out. They just create God in their own image. Don't go down that road, John. But it's encouraging to know that human beings and God have always struggled because God is so different from us. And so the process that he has for us is so different. And then you go... And then you drive down the you ride down the, the you ride down a road and somebody hits you with a car. Where's God? And he goes right there. You just live in a broken world. So many things we will not be protected from. Some things we will be protected from. And the mystery is his to know. I don't understand it. And so these guys had come out of Egypt. Four hundred years they'd been in, in 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 slavery. They had no mindset of freedom. I remember in South Africa when. Uh, we, we had a, a woman who would come and clean the house and she was uh, a black woman and said, come and sit and have lunch with us and she couldn't do it because it had been so long since there was freedom to be able to sit opposite a white person and actually be free. And even if the freedom was offered, to enter into it was incredibly difficult. And you know, that's the story of us too. I'm going to say this morning, God is present. He's for you. He's not against you. He, everything you, he has is for you. And you will be like that woman as I am like that woman. We go, but I don't know how to do that. I'm more used to living in the lack. I'm more used to living in fear. I'm more less used to living in, I better work it out myself. And so these people of Israel were journeying and they went, ultimately went in the desert for ten, 40 years while the unbelieving first generation had been praying to be free died so that the younger ones could get in because they didn't have some of that baggage. I mean, how sad is it if we arrive one day in heaven and we, we just discover all the stuff that was available, as I said right at the beginning. So... It is good to say to the Lord, Lord, show me my baggage. Show me the things that I'm unbelieving and help me to believe. And so he had said to the people as, as Joshua was going to lead them in, he said, you know, be strong and of good courage. And every place I give you, every, every place where you put your foot, I will give it to you. And again and again you have this principle throughout the scriptures, which is, I will be with you, but you've got to do something. You can't just sit and ask God to do it because he's already said, I've done everything. 
I've done everything that, that needs to be done so that you can actually live in hope and victory. And you go, well, I'm not getting the hope and victory. Well, then ask me to open your eyes so that you can see why you should have a hope and victory. Because all I have is yours and it's already present. So it's a very big difference coming before a God who says, everything I have is yours. Why don't you ask me to show it to you rather than, you're a mean, unkind God. I don't believe you're here and my eyes and attitude are so shut down that I'm never going to get it. Which is also why, uh, as was spoken by a couple of people this morning, Diane and Frank, we need people around us who see what we don't yet see, who can encourage us to say, I mean, there are people here, do you know that there are angels here? Now, I've never seen an angel in my life, apart from some of you. <laughs> I better n- won't name any names because then I'll be in trouble again. But some of you see angels. And I've heard people saying, you know, I've seen angels up here. I've seen, I'm being, not, I'm being serious, angels up on the balconies here. I've seen an angel behind you, John, that's massive. Some people see things that I don't see. We need one another. We need one another to say, well, when you say it's there and I, I, I hear you say it, I believe it. So I go, that's cool. There's much more than meets the eye going on. Remember Elijah and Elisha and, and uh, they were in a, in, a, in a battle. They got up one morning and said, there's so many people, we're going to be overcome. And he says, look around, open your eyes. God show him. And he saw the angelic beings and chariots and masters amount of people. God is totally mysterious. Jesus is just a little bit of who he is. So how do we begin to live from a place where we are loved by a father who has overcome the world where it has been broken and he is also the creator of the world? And, and in that Joshua passage, which we're not going to look at again, he says, prepare to move. I will, be pro- I will protect you. I give you promises of my protection and my presence will go with you, which Moses had actually prayed earlier. Don't let us go without your presence. And I really want to consider this whole thing of what is God's presence? I mean, if God is present everywhere, what's the problem? And I, I think sometimes it's like those stereograms I was talking about a while ago. You know those, those pictures you look at and you can't see anything. You've got to blur your vision and then you see something in that picture. There's a picture within the picture. What if that's like how God works very often, that there's something staring us in the face or something we read in the scriptures or something, an awareness that he can give us that we didn't see initially. But in order to see that picture, in order to see beyond what is just the superficial, sometimes you just need to stop and you need to be still for a while and consider. So even stopping and considering, God, what does it mean for your presence to be here? What difference would it make? And I live as if you're not here, but what happens if I lived as if you were here? How would that change? Because the thing is that where God is present, and the one thing he did all the time was he said, I will be with you. He said it to David. We're going to talk about David in a minute. He said it to the disciples. We're going to talk about them. He didn't actually say, um, you do this, this, and this, and then I'll be with you. He didn't give them a formula. He didn't say, when you're mature enough, I'll be with you. When you're spiritual enough, I'll be with you. You see, 
if you give birth to a baby, you don't say, I'll be with the baby when. Because you've given birth to that baby, you are tied to that child. And so you're passionate, something deep in you, which actually is the image of God in you, whether you believe in him or not. Your heart is for that baby. And you're going to nurture that baby, you're going to protect that baby, you're going to feed that baby, you're going to want everything good for that baby. Well, God feels the same way about you. You're not going to say, well, the baby's got to do this and this and this, and if it burps three times and doesn't wake me up at night, I'll love it. That doesn't work either. Babies are very self-centered. They're very inconsiderate. They think the whole world revolves around them. And it does. And they take full advantage of it. And the parent still loves the child. and gets up at night. How much more will God love you, you who are evil and know how to love your children? See, what happens if you respond to God like that? That he absolutely adores us and he is for us, not against us. So, he never actually says, you go out and I'll catch up with you. He doesn't say it to Moses. He doesn't say it to the disciples. In fact, he says to the disciples, wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes, which is my presence. He never ever says, I want you to go out and work it out on yourself or I want you to go in your own strength and eventually, he does say that to somebody. He, did, he said that to Gideon, I think. He said, go in the strength you have. All he's always saying is, if you move, I promise I'll be with you. And if you make a mistake, it's not the end of the world because I've actually seen all the mistakes and I know that you're going to make mistakes. I'm just delighted that you're doing something. And I will be with you. So God's presence is a promise. So what if God's with you right now? What if uh, he's always been with you? So if God is with you, what do you do about that? This is not a negative question, by the way. This is not a hard question. It's if God is with me, I could start by maybe talking to him about me, and he's fine with that. And then I might say, have you got anything to say? What have you got to say? And then you walk along and you go, I, I can't hear you. I spend time trying to listen to God and I can't hear him. And you say he's present but I can't see him. So, what do I do? And you say, take a deep breath and stop trying to imagine what him being with you looks like. Just go, thank you that you're with me. But I'm not hearing him. How do you know? Well, I would think he would speak to me. How do you know he's not speaking to you? You see, when God speaks to you, often he speaks through your own voice. For instance, think about your conscience. Ask him to start speaking to you. It'll sound like you. You go, I'm just imagining it. Well, imagination is a gift from God. It's one of the ways to get to him. Use your imagination. Begin to playfully and expectantly engage with whatever rises up in you and you will find God will speak. He will speak through something you read. He will speak through somebody who you talk to. 
He will speak through something you see. Lots of ways. I wrote a trail notes on the, the, the boys who were caught in uh, the caves in Thailand. It's a huge metaphor for God speaking about his life, his generosity, his kindness, his faithfulness. He can speak in all kinds of ways. But let's encourage one another because we can get stuck on almost every point. You remember when David uh, was anointed by Samuel? Because this is sort of God working. David's, uh, David's anointed by Samuel. Samuel uh, is going to follow Saul as the king of Israel. Saul has really uh, kind of lost his mantle. And we're not going to go into that. But Samuel uh, turns up and says he's, he's coming to anoint one of the sons of Jesse to be the king of Israel. And they go through all these sons and they parade them and they're all tough and magnificently built and looking cool. You look like a king. And he says, no, it's not him. And so all these studs of guys are going, shoot, the girl's like me. What do you mean? I'm not a king. I'm acting like a king. And God says, well, it's not the king I want. And they go through this whole line of guys, all who look like they're quite capable and qualified in all kinds of ways. Um, And the encouraging part of this is that God's not looking for the things we're looking for. Um, I want to speak to some of you and say, will you stop disqualifying yourself? Just stop it. You're not that bad and you're not that good. Just stop it. Stop disqualifying yourself. Stop saying, I can't, I won't, I couldn't, I could never. Stop it. You're cursing yourself. God is entirely capable of making you to be incredibly remarkable. But you're always disqualifying yourself and you think it's humility, but it's actually fear and it's unbelief. So stop it. Tell the person next to you, stop it. Just stop it. You are fearfully and wonderfully made and God is far greater than you are and you're just an egotistical unbeliever because you think that you're so bad that he can't use you. Stop it. And some of you think you're pretty cool and God's actually really lucky to have you. Stop it. You're getting in the way. I'm teasing you. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe somebody needs to hear it. Stop it. Let God be God. So t- all these guys turn up and they say, no, no, no. And then they eventually say, have you got another son? You know the story. And then, Oh yeah, Dave is out in the, he's, he's looking after the sheep. He's the sort of runt of the family. And they go, go call, call him. So David comes and he says, that's the boy. Brothers are really ticked off. Why him? I mean, he's not even developed. And he's just been with sheep. He stinks like sheep, actually. And he gets anointed. What happens then? He goes back to the sheep. And a while later, the Philistines are on the battlefield and Goliath is on the battlefield and Jesse says to his son, um, what does he say to him? Jesse said to his son David, take this ephah of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread for your brother and hurry to their camp. Take along these ten cheeses to the commander of their unit. See how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. They are with Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. And David said, Dad, you didn't see that anointing I had. I don't do cheese and bread anymore. I'm the king of Israel. 
Why is David a man after God's own heart? Because he took cheese sandwiches to the guys to the battlefield. He was humble. He was being made that that word of being king was a prophetic word that he had to grow into. There are words over our lives that are getting suffocated because we're trying to fill them and God's saying, I'm trying to lead you through a process. And I could give you so many examples over the last 35 years of people who have got in the way of God working and so they never accomplish what he has for them because there's not enough humility to go, just take the sandwiches and serve. But I'm anointed. I know you're anointed and I take the sandwiches and serve. Why? Because your anointing is not filled yet. It's not fulfilled. Jesus was anointed when he was born. It took him 30 years before he was released into public ministry. You don't get to set the time. He does. So David goes to... uh, Now, is the presence of God on David? Of course it is. And he goes to the battlefield... Now the Israelites had been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. This is uh, Goliath. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him and will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. David asked the men standing near him, what will, he do, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? They repeated to him what they had been saying and told him this is what will be done for the man who kills him. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he turned with anger at him and said, Why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. There's There's a brother who's angry. There's a brother who's seen what's happened to David and he's resentful and he's angry. And brothers and sisters in the Christian body, that attitude is alive. And we cut down what God is doing because we don't like the person or we are jealous of them or they haven't gone through our particular agenda of what should be. How do you know God's hand isn't on them? And so David responds, all I'm saying is when God anoints and when God calls and when God provides, there's still battles. And not everybody's going to enjoy it. Not everybody's going to be in favor of it. Not everybody's going to say, oh, praise the Lord, you are so anointed. David sort of whines and says, now what what have I done, said David? Can I I even speak? Then he turned away away to someone else and brought up the same matter. And the men answered, answered him as before, when David said what, what David said was overheard and reported to Saul and Saul sent for him. David was just saying, what's wrong? Why aren't you guys standing up for this guy? He didn't orchestrate being called before the king, but eventually he was. And Saul heard, because God will bring things to be what he wants to bring to be. And he calls David to himself. And he says to David, David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. And Saul shakes his head. You are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man. He's been a warrior from his youth. And David said, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off his sheep from the flock, I went after it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. 
because he has defied the armies of the Lord. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion, the paw of the bear, will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. That's the presence of the Lord. They go, David, you are a little boy. You don't have the ability to kill that man. We're all scared of him, so you need to be scared of him too. But David's idea of the presence of God is that when I was hidden and when I was looking after sheep and I was terrified because I got attacked by a lion and a bear at different times, I got my sling and I, and I nailed them. And with a sling, I'm really, really good. And if God can protect me from the lion and the bear and I'm still so small, but he is so big, I'm trusting him for this guy. So when you were anointed... What God does with you when nobody else is looking is, is the prerequisite to what is happening when people are looking. Sometimes we're always discounting the small things that are happening in private or, this, or the humble things because like, this is not what I had in mind. But it might be exactly what God has in mind in order for you to become what you see and what you hear you could be. Does that make sense? Don't despise the little things. Don't despise the hidden things. Don't despise the stuff that doesn't look of any consequence. And then Saul says, well, here, take my armor. And he puts his armor on. And David says, this feels totally awkward. I cannot go in your armor. And so he takes the armor off and he says, I'm just taking the sling and some stones. God's presence with you might not be the same in terms of how that's worked out as the person sitting next to you. Sometimes we're trying to give our armor to everybody else and they go, I don't want your armor. I want to encourage you just to be authentic. I want to encourage you not to be jealous of somebody else's armor. God will use you. And he will use you according to what he has skilled you in and according to how he has equipped you. We don't have to have envy. And you see, they thought that David was going to go and fight Goliath conventionally. Take a sword, take your armor and duke it out. David wasn't going to be conventional. He was going to go up and sling his sling. He knocks Goliath out and then cuts his head off with Goliath's own sword. He doesn't have a sword fight with him. He has enough to take Goliath out and then he finishes him off. They didn't didn't realize that was how it was going to work. And you and I sometimes don't realize how it's going to work. But go with what you have and don't undermine what you have. Don't disvalue what you have. Because God's presence looks different. You can be you. And so the same goes to... uh, there's, there's a little testimony from Nicky Gumbel, the guy who started Alpha, and he said, you know, he, he, his plan after he was married, he was going to go to ministry, and he was, uh, the plan was he had been a lawyer, and he had given up his job as a lawyer because he was going to go to Durham Theological College. Um, and he had virtually resigned, but he said that's what he was doing, and he applied to Durham, and uh, he didn't get in. And he said the next year was very, very difficult because nobody wanted to use him as a lawyer because he wasn't going to be a lawyer for long. And eventually he ended up uh, a year later going to Oxford to actually Wycliffe Hall where I was. Um, And his testimony was, if I hadn't 
if God hadn't stopped me going to Durham, I wouldn't have ever been able to go to Holy Trinity Brompton after I'd finished because the timing would have been wrong and I would never have been able to be involved in Alpha, which is now a world w- worldwide ministry program. In other words, the immediate is not always apparent, but the b- trusting God with the big picture is sometimes hard for us, but it's what we have, which is trust me, trust me, trust me. And that's what I'm saying over my life and that's what we're saying over this church. Trust the Lord. Trust the Lord. So Saul trusted in his armor. David trusted in the the Spirit of God upon him and what had happened so far in his life. And so we come back to the disciples where Jesus is going to send them out in John 14. And it's the same principle again. You see, everything about God's presence says, I am in you. And everything in us wants more than that. And then we want it to be laid out ahead of time and he goes, I work just in time, sort of thing. So, I will be with you. And that's what he said to the disciples. He said, when you brought before people who are powerful in their courts, I will be with you and give you words to say. And I want to say, no, can't you tell me now? so that I don't stress about when I get there. He says, oh, you will stress anyway, and you probably forget what I tell you now, so I'll tell you then. And that's how God's presence is. So God's presence is with us today for what we need today. And it's with us for tomorrow. What for, and his timing will be... My, I find God's timing I- enormously irritating. Because it always takes, seems to take longer. But in the taking of the longer, the freedom comes to go whatever you want, Lord. And so he says to his disciples, and these are his amazing promises, if you love me, keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he'll give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of Truth. I'm going to ask the Father to give you the Spirit of Truth, and he will be with you forever. And who is the Spirit of Truth? The Spirit of Truth isn't a bunch of facts. The Spirit of Truth is a person. And that spirit of truth is called the Holy Spirit. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. If they don't see him or know him and they don't accept him, I I think I might feel a bit like that. But you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Before long the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. On that day you will realize that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. Further down, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Is that a promise? How do I love you, Jesus? Well, start with the revelation you have. Usually the first revelation of somebody coming to know God is saying, God, I'm not worthy. I have lived my life as if I'm God. I come to your cross and I say, Jesus, thank you that you died on a cross because I can't atone for my sin. Sin is S-I-N, I in the middle. I'm living as if I'm the creation of the world. I live as if I'm God. And then I come to this revelation. I don't feel like God. I don't behave like God. And I sure don't have the confidence of God. And I have this guilt in me and I have this unease in me and I think there's something more but I don't know what it is. And I maybe eventually come through other people's conversations and I see their lives and I read about stuff and I say, 
There's something in me that says there must be a God. There's somebody greater than me. And so I come eventually to this revelation that God so loved the world that he sent his son Jesus. That whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And I go to God and I say, Jesus, thank you that you died on the cross for my sin. And as I stand there and I talk about my sin and I talk to God about my sin, I go, you know, I don't deserve anything. My attitude sucks. I mean, God, I have just taken everything in life and used it for me. And when I come to this revelation, I go, why should you forgive me? And he goes, I do, because you were blind, you were an idiot, and I love you anyway. And you're my son, and I can't, well, you're my daughter, and I can't disown you. And this is the moment I've been longing for. Well, that might evoke something about love. Amazing grace. Wretched one. I once was lost, now I'm found. So if you've been lost, like those little Thai boys in the cave, and the diver pops up and says, Hey, smelt you before I saw you. You stink, you guys. But I'm so thrilled that you're alive. And they go, Hey, we're alive. And then they have to rescue them. That was you and me. You've been rescued. God saw you from afar. He rescued you. How do you feel about? What do you think those Thai boys feel about the guys who rescued them? Those Navy SEALs walk in to the hospital or see them afterwards. They probably have a party. And the Navy SEALs will say, "We never thought we'd ever get you out alive." And the boys said, "We never thought we'd be out alive." You think they would have some emotion in them? You think there'd be some love and thankfulness? Thank you so much that you didn't give up in the cave, cave down here. Thank you so much that you persevered because you cared and our lives were precious even though you didn't know us. So for the rest of their lives, those boys will give testimonies about those Navy SEALs and those people from all over the world who came to rescue them. They were unknown people, little little soccer team of unknown boys who captured the heart of the world because they were alive and God has created in human beings a passion for life. And so he says, I pursue you like that. And once once you've been found, that's the beginning of the germinating seed of love that says that's how much you're loved. But I didn't rescue you just so that you could say I've been rescued. Those boys weren't rescued so they could come out of the cave and just be out of the cave. They were rescued so they could carry on with life. And God rescued you and me so that we could actually walk in his presence for the rest of our lives, knowing him and then actually having life within us to become extraordinary. And let heaven shine through us because God lives in us. Where is God now in you? He's in you. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are in you. And you go, well, it doesn't feel like it. What do you think it feels like? A full stomach? What does it feel like to have God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in you? What does it feel like to have blood in you? What does it feel like to have cells in you and organs in you? Can you feel your kidney right now? Can you feel your lungs? Can you feel the blood coursing through your veins? Can you feel your liver? Your spleen? So if you can't feel them, how do you know God's not in there? The Father, Son and the Holy Spirit. So live from that place. Live from that place. It says you're no longer orphans, so I'm going to finish there. And all I'm trying to talk about today is taking the mystery out of this thing called God's presence and God's love 
and in a sense say, He's right here. Let's start and live from that place of presence. So live this week. God, you're in me. Thank you. And then listen just to what's going on inside you. He's speaking more than you realize. And don't be over-dramatic and over-spiritual. I, I, I've got a nice quote to finish. Because uh, sometimes we, we get very spiritual and it's a little nauseating to most of us. This is from a guy called Dan McCollum who's got a very big, uh, strong prophetic ministry and this came out in a note the other day. He says, I'm a huge believer and, bil- and believer and builder of the prophetic community. Prophetic community should not be made of, up of just prophets. You need the whole body. Everyone is prophetic, even though not everyone is a prophet. We all know in part and see in part. No matter how much you see, it's only part of a greater picture. That picture can only be completed within the context of a greater prophetic community. He's saying we need one another. I like to tell the story. I came home from a huge national prophetic event and my wife is really sweet. And she said, Hey, Mr. Prophet, if you can see everything, how come you can't see that the trash needs to be taken out and the Lord needs to be mowed? I love this because it pointed to the practical things that I wasn't seeing that relate to community in real life. No matter how many heavenly experiences someone has, it has to come back to a practical expression of love within a community. Other people see things too. Never discount that. You need their peace as much as they need yours. There's lots of ways of God speaking, God sharing, God working. And it always comes down to, it's no good if you're just speaking spiritual words but you're not even taking out the trash. David took cheese sandwiches to his brothers when he was anointed. He then slayed Goliath because he was authentic to himself and what God had worked out in him. God has gifted each one of us in in, in varieties of ways. Some are the same, some are different. But his presence is with you. And as he was with David, he will be with you. As he was with the disciples, he said, you are no longer orphans. The difference between a Christian and a non-Christian is somebody who's not an orphan. God is with you. He hasn't given you a bunch of stuff to do He's just said, I'll be with you. So as we share in this breaking of bread this morning, uh, let's share it as a meal where Jesus is our, 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 our host, as it were. And if you're facing something that's particularly challenging, just step into it with God's presence assured. Thank you, Lord, that you're with me. Start praying, uh, start praying prayers or continue to pray prayers as if God was saying yes and amen, which is what we sang. Thank you, Father, that you're with me. Thank you that you're present. So what am I doing? I end up here in October, and I have no idea where I go from here. I have no idea what I do. I can't afford to not work, and I have absolutely zero idea. I can go down quite a negative road, Or I can say, Father, I can walk around my house that I've lived in now for 15, 18 years and I can tell myself testimonies of when I put the siding around the front door because I had just lost a job and I didn't know what was going to happen. And you placed a white envelope at the door a few days later and said, I'll be with you, I love you. I'm just giving this to you because I love you. And I cried. And I can go to the back door and I can look at a deck and go, when I was painting this deck, I got a phone call 
that uh, Juliet, my first wife, was a, had an aneurysm and I had to go and look after my kids who were going to, it looked like she was going to die. And went down with them and God was present and praying for her to be healed and she's healed. And actually, a week ago, we sat and had a glass of wine together for the first time in 20 years. You've got to bring up the testimonies of God's faithfulness to prepare you for the times where you go, I didn't think I'd be doing this again. And he says, but I will be with you. I will be with you. And I know him well enough to know that probably nothing's going to materialize till after October. I just want to encourage you because we journey together. Lots of us have challenges. Lots of us have questions. Lots of us have why, Lord. And he just says, don't ask me why. Just walk, let's walk together. And you'll create another testimony. And you will, you will testify to my faithfulness. 